And we are live, folks. We are live. So with Christmas just around the corner, we're going to take a look at a potential ghost of Christmas future here. So the conversation that we're going to have is based heavily on articles and rhetoric from the World Economic Forum, who, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast at all, are the biggest advocates of the Great Reset. So we're going to be talking about a world in the not-too-distant future where people no longer own anything, from homes to cars to appliances and even clothes. It is possible that we may be quickly heading towards this reality. How will it happen? And what does it mean for our lives and liberty? We're going to be talking about all this and more on episode 377 of the In the Tank podcast. That is right. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, just got a skeleton crew. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today? Good, sir. I'm doing just fine. I am in an undisclosed location somewhere in semi-rural eastern Pennsylvania where uh, it is raining. It's going to rain Pretty much all day, the temperature is going to rise to like 60 degrees. So I've escaped northern uh, Illinois, where it is apparently, uh, actually I saw on the AccuWeather's own website that it was a something called a bomb cyclone is coming your way, Donnie. Uh, and it could be the worst storm anyone has ever experienced. That's why yeah. I love our weather media in, this, in the United States. It's just so reasonable and accurate. Uh, you know, they never exaggerate, right? Well, at least they're not calling it a, a Category Five kill storm or something like that. So <laughs> at least we're at least we're one level below that. So that's good. Yeah. But I, uh, I have but a question. I have a question on the topic for today before we get into some other little opening chit chat. So if uh, in the future we will own nothing and be happy, mm -hmm. what happens to Christmas? Do we just borrow gifts and then maybe recycle <laughs> them to other people in the future? Because if I can't, if you don't own a gift somebody gives you, what? It's not really a gift, is it? That's a good. That's a good point. I've got a uh, recycled pair of socks with your name on it, Jim. Just wait till <laughs> you get back to the office. Check your stocking. There's other stockings inside. Boom. Oh, good stuff. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, we're getting close to the holidays. So I kind of knew that uh, you know people's availability was going to be spotty. Chris, who usually joins us for these podcasts, uh, I told him you know don't don't venture through the snow and, and try to get to the office just so you could do the podcast. Like take a week off. It's no problem. I know this topic inside and out, so uh, that's fine. Justin didn't have nearly as good of an excuse, so we'll give him a pass. Uh, but Jim was even despite the fact that he is out. Uh, on, a, on a vacation, he's still dedicated to the cause and joining the podcast uh, like he does every Thursday. So before we get into anything, I do have to put that message out there for all of our listeners, uh, audio only listeners specifically, that if you want to catch the show a day earlier, you're probably listening to this on a Friday. You can by uh, joining the live version of the show, which is streaming on Facebook and Twitter and Rumble and YouTube. You could join the conversation, put your comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. 
Um, and also, if you want to help out the show, you can do so by doing just a couple of things that won't cost you a penny, only it cost you a couple of seconds, and that is hitting that subscribe button, hitting that share button for this content, leaving a comment underneath this video, or hitting that like button. All things that help break through that big tech algorithm that prevents content like this from being shown to more people. And one more bit of housekeeping before we get into things is the fact that we are about two months away from the Heartland Institute's 15th International Conference on Climate Change, taking place on February 23rd through the 25th in Orlando, Florida. Tickets are still available to this important event, so you can secure your tickets or get more information by heading over to heartland.org and clicking on the big featured image towards the top or by, by going to climateconference.heartland.org. Jim, anything you want to add to that? I know that you have been working recently on confirming some excellent speakers to the conference. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, just yesterday confirmed a gentleman named Jeff Jeffrey Clark. He was in the Trump administration. He was in the Department of Justice. He basically, he did. He headed up the Environment and Climate Division. I'm not saying the exact division right, but uh, there is a division of the Department of Justice that deals with environmental and climate issues. And we got Jeff Clark to speak at our conference, uh, just added him to the speaker page, I think, yesterday. Uh, so he's coming to speak. He will be on a uh, probably on the main stage, giving a plenary address. Um, he actually, Jeff Clark, um, we've talked on this podcast in the past about the case West Virginia versus EPA, in which the, um, you know, the state of West Virginia said EPA basically can't just make up laws as it goes along. There are uh, restrictions. You can't just make up law as an administrative state uh, broadly. That's what the case determined. Jeffrey Clark had a lot to do with that case. Uh, his work actually kind of set the groundwork for that to happen. And one of the frustrating things is that the uh, Biden administration just seems to be ignoring this Supreme Court decision and just instructing his EPA to go forward as if nothing had changed. So uh, Jeffrey Clark will be able to speak to that like almost nobody else on earth. Uh, Marlo Oaks is the state treasurer of the state of Utah, the beehive state for you uh, nerd trivia state people out there like me. Uh, he is one of the leaders in the country on fighting ESG through state action. And uh, he's going to have a prime speaking spot at our climate uh, change conference as well. So we're going to be covering lots of topics. Um, it's not just, of course, the latest climate science. Uh, guys like Anthony Watts, scientists like Ross McKittrick from Canada, Christopher Essex from Canada. So it is an international conference on climate change. We have people coming in uh, from other countries. And they're going to be going over things like, uh, I think one of the topics I've roughly, uh, one, of the, one of the topic areas I've roughly sketched out is called, um, you know, about the temperature, that the temperature data is not as alarmist as you would think, uh, that there's something wrong with it. Anthony Watts, our senior fellow here, and of course, the publisher of the, the famous What's Up With That blog, our website, uh, which is one of the most read climate websites in the world, did a study on the temperature stations here in the United States and found them quite wanting, and that they were over, they were, they were recording temperatures that were not accurate because a lot of these temperature stations we're in hot spots, and so they were not getting we're not getting an accurate uh, measure of temperature in the climate from these ground temperature stations. It's groundbreaking work. Anthony Watts will be there to talk about that. Of course, as I mentioned, we'll be talking a lot about ESG because ESG and climate policy are all together, and of course, the global uh, the global push for the Great Reset, which we're going to be talking a little bit about here in this podcast, is all tied into climate. Uh, it's going to be fascinating, and we actually, um, I have some feelers out for some, a couple more pretty big name people that are going to drive the environmental left 
crazy. So <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> the program keeps developing. It's going to be great. Uh, go to heartland.org for information. There's a there's a, a feature right there where you can click right to the right directly to the website. I'm updating the speaker page um, almost daily now, and the schedule is going to be more fleshed out. You're going to want to be there, especially in February in Florida. Maybe this bomb cyclone will be over by February. And, <laughs> uh, maybe it will have destroyed the entire Midwest and the right. Ohio Valley and most of the Northeast. So we will all just escape to Orlando on February 23rd to the 25th uh, for this climate yeah, conference and uh, and have a good time. Yeah, you're you're gonna want to go to Orlando because it might be underwater soon if we're wrong <laughs> about all this. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, like I said before, it's just Jim and I. Um, I I was I wasn't even sure Jim was gonna be able to join us, so I was thinking that I was might have to do this show by myself. So I was thinking of a topic that I I know pretty well that I could just do uh, by myself, and and you know, for further context, I have also taken these days off. So this is just me. Uh, a part of my vacation doing this. So I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time doing a bunch of research into why solar and, and wind is bad and finding all the, the, the different articles or whatever. So I was like, all right, I want to, I want to talk about this topic. This is something that I have been doing a lot of research on for the past several months. So I thought that this would be a good venue for me to kind of organize my thoughts on this issue. And that issue is in the future, you will own nothing. And like I said, I, I came up with this topic by myself, uh, another kind of behind the scenes, how the sausage is made type of thing uh, in the days prior to a podcast. Usually Jim and I and Chris and, and Justin will throw some ideas back and forth and we'll settle as a group on a few topics that we think is important enough to dedicate an episode to that week. So in this time, like I said, it was just me. I just threw that out there. So I don't even know exactly where Jim stands on some of the things that I'm going to say during this podcast. So this is going to be a little bit more of a, um, I don't know, a, a different style podcast than what you might be used to if you're a frequent listener of this show. So uh, the idea, in the future, you will own nothing. This, of course, is a concept that originated with the World Economic Forum. Back in 2016, I believe, the World Economic Forum published an article titled, Welcome to 2030, I Own Nothing, Have No Privacy, and Life Has Never Been Better. So if you look for this article, you might have trouble finding it, and this is because the World Economic Forum pulled the article down from their website after conservative types found the article and started touting it as if it were an official policy position of the World Economic Forum. So let's just start right off the bat by saying that it is not an official party platform of the World Economic Forum. Uh, it, you might be able to argue that it's uh, unofficially a, a policy platform of the World Economic Forum, and I, and I think you can make a case for that. That's that's totally fine. And I think you could also make a case that the World Economic Forum and at least some of the people associated with them uh, see society trending towards this model of nobody owning anything, regardless of them tipping the scales in favor of that or uh, against that in any way. So, in fact, the author of this article, uh, Ada Aukin, I believe her name is, um, she is some like parliamentary member in like Finland or Norway or something. So it's not like some nobody that wrote this article. She wrote this article and um, she she said that she wrote it. This is after it got pulled down because she wanted to have a conversation about what the world might look like, a conversation about the potential future of the world for better or for worse. So like I mentioned in the opening remarks of the show, I plan on talking about homes, houses, cars, even appliances and clothing and more. 
And also, the most important part of this conversation is going to be the liberty implications of this potential future. So let's start off by talking about the article here. So the the link that Andy has pulled up here and will is also in the show notes is a archive.org uh, um, uh, reproduction of the, uh, you know, they screenshot it or something. I forget exactly how it works, but it, it shows what the page looked like back when this article existed and they didn't pull it down. So that's why Andy was able to find it. So the article starts off. Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city. Or should I say our city? I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all things we need in our daily lives. One by one, these things became free. So it ended up not making sense for us to own much. First, communication became digitized and free to everyone. Then, when clean energy became free, things started to move quickly. Transportation dropped dramatically in price. It made no sense for us to own cars anymore because we can call a driverless vehicle or a flying car for longer journeys within minutes. We started transporting ourselves in a much more organized and coordinated way when public transit became easier, quicker, and more convenient than the car. Now, I can hardly believe that we accepted congestion and traffic jams, not to mention the air pollution from combustion engines. What were we thinking? In our city, we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we don't need it. My living room is used for a business meetings when I am not there. Once in a while, I will choose to cook for myself. It is easy. The necessary kitchen equipment is delivered to my door within minutes. Since transport became free, we stopped having all of those things stuffed into our home. Why keep a pasta maker and a, a crepe cooker crammed in our cupboards when we could just order one when we need them? So Jim's already laughing at this, but the author continues to explain that this system of living where everything's shared and everything's a service and we don't own anything is more uh, courteous to the environment. It's more environmentally friendly. It contributes less to climate change, all of these things. People are more free when they're not tethered to their possessions. So at first glance, this might seem very pie in the sky, especially certain sentences of this. It's hard to imagine that we're going to uh, get to a scenario uh, to this scenario from our current position, like even from like a cynical leftist point of view, they might be thinking America is far too wrapped up in, in material possessions and consumerism to buy into any of this. This is just pie in the sky. But the truth is force, especially from the government is not going to be the driving factor when it comes to this transformation. It's more likely to be innovation. So before I get into the, my first kind of uh, point about all of this, Jim, what are your thoughts about this article, uh, which is now six years old at this point, but it's kind of taken on a life of its own in this uh, this uh, this idea that in the future you'll own nothing? Well, I mean, if, if you're a sci-fi fan out there, it should remind you of the world as imagined by Gene Roddenberry in Star Trek. Um, you know, with food replicators, you don't even need farms anymore. You know, technology has taken care of a lot of the needs of, uh, of humanity, and in fact, all the wants of humanity as well. And so, uh, you know, when you live in that world, um, you can almost imagine this sort of thing where nobody really owns anything. Although I might, <laughs> you might recall that uh, Captain Jean-Luc 
Picard actually enjoyed owning some antique books, antique book being books from the 20th century uh, for his own personal possessions. Uh, so, you know, and then on that, it's like, yeah, maybe that is a, a, a conceivable future in, say, like 2380, not in 2030. Um, you know, it, again, it kind of reminded me, you know, back when the World's Fair uh, especially in Chicago, were kind of the were kind of the big deal. There was all these ideas. The World's Fair was to was to display for humanity the 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 life of the future, what the world is going to look like in a hundred years, and that's where you got the flying cars and people were on in dirigibles all the time, you know, going here and there, and you know it was kind of a fun fantasy kind of kind of thinking. And most of the things they they pretended might be available and might be our future were not, and it was laughable. To see them, um, you know, growing up at the end of the 20th century, to see that the things that they thought we would be, how life would look and feel 100 years from now was nowhere near that. But I don't know. I think Zeppelins uh, are going to make a comeback. Don't, don't, Zeppelins uh, are don't, pretty cool. Don't count them out. <laughs> They're pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, you know, but it's always it's always this idea with these with these dreamy, and they're always on the left. These dreamy leftists. That that this wonderful utopian future is literally right around the corner, 2030. And again, that was six years ago. So they were talking about, you know, a decade and a couple of years um, uh, difference. But like, we're not close to that. And another thing, of course, is like, you know, this idea that you will own nothing. Let's put the privacy, you know, you'll have no privacy and, and you'll still be happy. Let's put that aside for now. But the fact that you won't own anything and you'll still be happy. Um, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Somebody owns it. Somebody made it. Somebody's controlling it. Somebody is determining whether you get that crepe cooker or your neighbor does. And that that person isn't really a person. It's probably a team of bureaucrats, but it's the government. The government will own everything. This is the socialist utopia. This is probably the best uh, patina a shiny patina I've ever seen put on socialism in the modern era is that we don't, nobody will own anything and you'll just be so happy. But, but like, again, somebody owns it. Somebody had to make it. It costs something to make it. They will provide it, um, you know, to people who can most afford to get it from them at a good price. These, these, these utopian dreams uh, discount two very important things, human nature and the laws of economics. And the, the laws of economics show that socialism, this kind of idea that you just don't need to own anything and that everything will just be a service and everything will be free, cannot and will not happen. All socialism does is create artificial scarcity, government-imposed scarcity. So somebody will own it. You won't. If you want to live in a, in a, in a world where you don't own anything, you know, good for you. Go ahead and do that. Try to live your life that way. But somebody's going to own it. And, you know, okay, so I'm very um, skeptical of this, of this non-ownership. Right, no, no, you're, you're, I, I think you're encapsulating, I, I think, what probably most of the people that are watching this are thinking. Yeah. They're, they're thinking the same things. But well, I'm going to make the case to you. Well, just wait, okay. wait, just wait, what, what, one, last, one last point. I own stuff. I own my own home. I own my own car. Uh, is someone going to take that away from me because we're not allowed to have ownership? See, that's the last thing. It's like there's a lot of people out there that actually do own things and enjoy owning things. What sure. about those people? Right. Anyway, we all know so what I, happens to those people. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make uh I'm gonna try to make two two cases for you. So you said right. 2335 or something like this is more of a realistic uh, guess for this. I'm going to make the case that we are closer to this than than that. Uh, much closer, in fact, in certain regards. 
And then the other thing that you'd mentioned is the idea that uh, your assumption that the government would be the ones owning all of that. And maybe in essence, that will be the case. But we are so far down this line of the Great Reset and ESG that I don't think the government will take a primary role in all of this. So let's start off by talking about what I think would be a, a good way to, for people to kind of wrap their heads around this. And this is the idea of movies, uh, media, and TV. So we've already seen certain aspects of all of this materializing in our own lives. So that's, that's, you know, that, that's already happening in full strength when it comes to media, movies, and TV. The era of physical media is in its death throes. Um, I recall not that many Christmases ago, my favorite gift Underneath the tree would be one that was a, a rectangle about that size, you know, real thin, because I knew that that was going to be either a movie, uh, maybe a DVD box set uh, of, of TV, uh, TV shows, or maybe a video game or something like that. And um, but now, several years later, this has completely changed. Now, most people, or at least a large portion of people, get all of their media, movies, and TV via streaming services. The technology and the internet bandwidth has progressed so much that uh, people can have media data streamed directly into their homes 24-7. And I love movies. I love TV. Uh, I have a whole like case of, of DVDs and all of that stuff that's just collecting dust now. I can't tell you when the last time I bought a DVD was because the idea of a streaming service is just so convenient so it wasn't government force that's preventing me from not owning any physical media. It wasn't some government dictate or any law passed or anything like that. It was just technology and innovation made it so damn convenient for me to get all of my media and all my TV and movies through streaming services. So like, for example, why would you spend $350 getting every box set of every season of Game of Thrones when you know it's going to be terrible at the end? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> when you could use that $350 to, to subscribe to HBO Max for like 20, 25 months, something like that, and watch all of Game of Thrones uh, and thousands of other movies and TV, you know, like it, it just become, gets to a point where, uh, um, you know, the, the, the you not owning it version of this thing that you like is so much more convenient. And again, I'm not even necessarily advocating. I, I don't want people to take these statements out of context and, and feel like I'm advocating for, you know, this in the future, you'll own nothing thing. I am not. Because the thing that goes along with this, uh, you know, it's super convenient not to own it. You could just stream it, pull up any show that you want and stream it at any point in time. You don't even have to get up and find the DVD and put it in your little DVD player or anything like that. Is the idea that it does take the control out of your hands. So that is one thing, Jim, that you were completely spot on uh, about in your opening statements. Was that uh, that when you don't own it, it puts the control in somebody else's hands. So a DVD is permanent. When you bought a DVD in 1998, uh, Shanghai Noon or something like that, you know that when you put Shanghai Noon, that DVD, into your DVD player now in 2022 or 2023, whenever you're listening to this uh, 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 podcast, it'll play exactly the same as what it did in the late 90s. Digital media, on the other hand, is fluid. So this is subject to change at any given moment. Now, obvious examples of this is, uh, uh, you know, you bought Netflix so that you can watch a certain movie. And then two months later, they don't have that movie available anymore. That's just like they don't have the rights to stream that movie anymore. But not only that, but there are stories of, uh, of other changes that are made to the media 
and then re-uploaded. So now anytime that you want to watch that new thing, it's changed. So a famous example of this is like the original Star Wars movies. The original Star Wars movies, unaltered by George Lucas's special editions and all of that stuff. People want that, and it's not available to them because unless they own the actual like laser discs or the original VHS tapes that it came out on, you don't have the ability to find the unaltered versions of this. They don't exist anymore. Uh, Disney, there was stories just a couple of years ago uh, when we we're going through super woke phase of our whatever news cycle where Disney was adding warning labels to certain uh, to certain Disney movies. I think it was like Peter Pan and like Pinocchio and stuff would have like it would start with a disclaimer talking about how there's insensitive stereotypes of, you know, whatever people are in this movie. Better watch out. Another one that grabbed headlines was HBO. It's gone with the wind. It was pulled down because it was too problematic. And after about a month, they re-put it up there. If you have HBO, you can go and find Gone with the Wind. But now, it's uh, the if you press play on it, it starts off, and I'm not kidding you, it starts off with a five-minute lecture explaining why this movie is problematic. So I was like, doesn't that, doesn't that just set the stage for an awesome movie night being lectured to by your intellectual superiors about why the movie you're about to like, you're about to watch sucks? Like, it's ridiculous. Are you supposed uh, to be making the argument for the coming rental society? Because you're yes. not making it. <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is reality, man. Do you think we're going to go back to DVDs? Because I don't. We are so cemented in place with this. And just a couple other ones. Um, um uh, during the Black Lives Matter stuff, there was a, uh, a desire for all these different streaming services to get rid of any any depictions of blackface, uh, regardless if that's part of the joke or anything off of any of their episodes. So they purged episodes from very uh, popular streaming shows like uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Community, Scrubs, The Office Gym. They took an episode. They altered an episode from The Office. Uh, even Golden Girls, they took an episode down That's right. from. That's right. And then yeah. another headline-grabbing thing was Joe Rogan's most like popular podcast in existence. When he went to Spotify, they removed, like, what, four or five dozen episodes because they were problematic? Because, again, when you don't own the media, someone else owns the media. And when they own the media, they make the rules. So this is just – uh, I, I bring in this all up. Um, because this is something that we are experiencing right now. Like it is happening. This isn't some distant 2035 or, or uh, you know, 2335 or anything like that. This is happening now. And we have to keep all of these things in mind when I'm talking about cars, when I'm talking about housing and even clothing and appliances. So, but before I get into that, Jim comments on what I've said so far. Well, I mean, I think those points about the entertainment world changing into a basically full-time rental uh, world and streaming world is 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 accurate although you are seeing that you know people who own the unaltered version of say the original Star Wars trilogy have something valuable on their hands and they own it and they may want to sell it or make copies of it and distribute it to other people so that they can have that um, piece of history with them as well we don't condone piracy just an fyi before this episode's old. <laughs> we not we're enough we have we get enough trouble with youtube as it is that's not what i was applying you should always pay <laughs> for the original stuff yourself so find it on ebay instead find someone willing to give that up uh 
oh, you get you distract me. But uh, <laughs> like we can apply it. But that's small potatoes. That really, I mean, I mean, frankly, who cares? That's not what that's not what the that's not what they're talking about um, in their future of 2030 when you will own nothing, you'll have no privacy, and you will be happy. Uh, for one thing, you can keep your privacy just by popping that DVD in and watching the original Star Wars that you wouldn't necessarily have if you were to watch it on Disney Plus, who are tracking what you watch, when you watch it, how long you watch it, if you pause it, where you pause it, uh, and all sorts of things. And you don't get that if you have your own DVD. So if privacy is important to you, even as something as trivial as your entertainment world, you can have it if you want to do it the, you know, the privacy way by owning your own things. But people here in the comments on the YouTube um, channel here were mentioning that, you know, I think Uber and Lyft, you know, basically you can call a car at any time. Uh, Andy, our producer, uh, uses uh, Uber and Lyft. He's actually come to work using Uber and Lyft uh, when I've told him not to. But when his car breaks down and he wants to get in the office, he will take Uber and uh, and he will do that. Um, but here's the well, trouble. I'm going to get to that next. I'm going to get to that next. Oh, yeah. Well, we can get to that. Then let me just set the stage real quick. As convenient and as wonderful as Uber and Lyft are, and, and as much as, especially millennials, I mean, I'm, I'm 52 years old, I'm Gen X, uh, Uber and Lyft are fantastic, um, but I've owned a car since I was 16 years old. I've had my own independence via my own personal vehicle since I was 16 years old. I can fill up that gas tank and drive 300 miles minimum in any direction that I choose. Uh, that's a wonderful bit of freedom. You cannot do that with Uber and Lyft. Um, so, you know, while newer generations are thinking that they can replace their personal car, their personal vehicle with Uber and Lyft, they can, especially if they live in an urban environment, but if they want true freedom, they're gonna to have to have their own personal vehicle. And in this future where they don't see us ever, there's no, there's no room in this future that this uh, person from the World Economic Forum sees for you or me or anybody listening to this to have their own personal vehicle to choose when and where they wish to go. I mean, heck, this thing even has it where my living room isn't even my own because some stranger is going to come in and do a business meeting when I'm, what, out on an Uber shopping somewhere or something? Yeah. I mean, this is absurd to, to, to believe that anybody would, would put up with living that way. Most people don't even like roommates that are their friends, let alone, you know, occasional housemates that you don't even know. It's mm -hmm. insane. It's insanity. No, I know. And, and I feel like this is just kind of the start of it, right? Because especially when streaming services got on the scene, you know, a lot of people, it was just kind of like either or in the same way that when we transitioned from VHS to DVDs, it's like, oh, I'm going to stick with my VHSs because, you know, I have my whole collection on there. I'm not going to go to DVD. But now we've swung so far to the one side where streaming services is just the norm at this point that I don't think there is any going back or at least not going back in any way. That's kind of the way that we traditionally had physical media and just wait until these companies, especially when they're emboldened by kind of the wokeness or even incentivized by things like ESG, when they start putting their thumbs on the scales, uh, you know, if some celebrity is canceled and all of a sudden now you can't watch their show anymore, or God forbid, uh, you know, technology advances so far where they start re-releasing old movies, you know, without, uh, you know, some problematic actor that's been canceled or something like that. They just like digitally CGI in a different person, deep fake in a different person or something like that. Seems like that that's a more of a far out crazy idea, but it just shows you the potential of the power that these media companies have when you don't own it and they do and you just borrow it from them at a mm -hmm. price. So let's get to cars and transportation. So I kind of want to ascend a, a ladder of importance when it comes to all of this stuff. So the next one I want to talk about is cars. 
So personal vehicles have been the most popular mode of transportation for, what, 100 years now? Uh, we use them to get to work, run errands, go to stores, pretty much everything. Uh, leftists stress the importance of public transportation like trains and buses and subways. But most of that is limited to densely populated cities. And once you're outside of those cities, those the vast majority of people rely pretty heavily on personal vehicles. So this is another case, and Jim, you already kind of mentioned this a little bit, where the technological advancements are changing the game. So uh, again, just a handful of years ago, what, like 10 plus years ago, something like that, ride sharing services started to become popular. So with companies like Uber and Lyft, people can push a few buttons on their phone uh, and boom, some person in their car arrives to take you where you need to go. So similar to the streaming services we talked about before, the ability uh, is, is this ability, this new service that's available to everyone is starting to supplant the need for some, not everyone, but for some to to not need their own personal vehicles anymore. So I have one article. Uh, you don't even necessarily need to show it, Andy, but it is in the show notes. It's from TechCrunch. And it's, it says that a quarter million people, 250,000 people in 2017 said that rideshare services allowed them to ditch their own personal cars. They just didn't need it anymore. Uh, if you rely on, on these ride-sharing services, you don't need a license. Uh, you don't need insurance. You don't need to worry about oil changes and car maintenance, any of that stuff. Uh, but you can still get to where you need to go, something that was not an option you know, just 10 years ago. So the World Economic Forum published an article, and we, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, this, this came out several months ago, titled, Three Circular Ec Economy Approaches to Reduce Demand for Critical Metals. In this article, the author explains why personal car ownership is very wasteful. It talks about how, uh, um, I think it's the third one, Andy, if you want to scroll down. It talks about how when you own a car, it just sits there idle for like 97% of the time. And perhaps we should embrace car sharing services. It would be so much more efficient and we would use less cars and they would save the polar bears or something like that. All of this stuff because we're sharing now. So it, it's similar to the control of the media uh, the thing that I had mentioned earlier, that the owners of these services will now be able to dictate who gets to use that service and for what? So there's a whole bunch of stories. And I don't have these in the show notes, but you could look them up. If I put everything in the show notes, there would be a million links right now. But there was a story just a few years ago, a group of young Republicans that ordered an Uber and uh, they were turned away because they were wearing MAGA hats. And then the company Lyft uh, put out like a, a memo or a statement to all their drivers saying that they could refuse taking people to certain rallies the, the entire company they could refuse to take people to certain rallies and there was one story of a conservative commenter uh, i forget who it was it was a lady that she tweeted something that was perceived as racist about her lyft driver and because of her tweet she was banned from lyft and uber she was only talking about one but she was banned from both of them so it's this idea that, again, when you don't own the cars and someone else does, they make the rules and not you. So, uh, so Jim, that kind of covers uh, uh, the comments that you already made previous to me bringing this up. But do you have any further elaboration on that? Because I do have a second part of this section. Oh, I, I'll just quickly add, it's like what I said at the top. It's like, you won't own it. Somebody does. Somebody That's owns right. it. Somebody controls it at the very least. But of course, they own it as well. And they get to make the rules. They get to say who gets to use this service and who doesn't. And they get to do it with any uh, with any standards that they may 
just come up with on the fly. We're seeing that already. We saw that in our social media where conservatives are are, exactly. are throttled and are not allowed to use the, the uh, social media in the same way that liberals and leftists are. And so if you want to see that times 10,000 and applied to almost every aspect that's important in your life, social media is not that important. It's not as important as being able to have a vehicle so you can go to the doctor or get groceries or, you know, go wherever you want. If, if the, and this, again, this is going to be government control. Let's stop pretending that there's, that the, that's not what this is. It's not, it's not group, it's, it's not group control. It's not the people owning this and making decisions. These decisions will be made by government and you only get to enjoy your life if the government smiles upon you and upon how you are living your life. And that's not freedom. That's tyranny. Yes. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, in all of these cases, whether it's social media and stuff that we talked about with Twitter last time around um, or or some of these other things that I'm going to talk about, especially when you factor in the ESG, um, that it's corporations and government working hand in hand, which might end up being the worst case scenario when it comes to people that uh, love liberty like us. But OK, so after that first part of the car section, you might be thinking, OK, but somebody owns that vehicle, right? Uh, it's, it's still an individual person that owns that vehicle, and they're just using it to chauffeur people around for money. Correct. For now. Again, technology is blazing a trail in a very specific direction. And the concept of a self-driving car is one that you've probably heard about for years now, but it is slowly becoming a reality. So just a few weeks ago, maybe a month. Uh, Tesla released a beta of its full self-driving car software to all customers in North America. So if you pay, I think it's like $15,000 and you have a Tesla model over, you know, uh, 2021 or something like that, you can pay that money, download the self-driving car software, and you can literally have the car. I've watched videos of this. You plug in your coordinates and it takes you self-driving anywhere you want to go. It's incredible technology it's still in its like you know infancy stages but surely it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and so what happens if uh you know oh, oh also sorry in regards to that tesla isn't the only one working on this i know that some people like to just dismiss elon musk as a crazy guy but there are multiple other companies that are working on the same type of thing apple being one of them i think google has some uh, self-driving software that they're trying to get behind and also several major car companies so there is a quite a competition to to achieve this feat of self-driving cars so what happens if this becomes the future of uber what if when you order a car, instead of Shelly coming in her, you know, uh, a Ford Tempo from you know, 2002 or something like that. Now, when you order that car, a self-driving, no person in it comes and picks you up and takes you where you need to go. What if uh, companies like Apple and Amazon or Google or, you know, you name it. What if they own fleets of self-driving cars that are positioned all over, you know, your area because of some algorithm and all of this, they make sure that they're the they're most efficient placements for these cars. And that is who comes and picks you up. So it's no longer an individual. It's no longer, you know, Shelly saying, oh, I don't like your mega hat. Get out of here. I'm not taking this ride. It's a company that's making that decision it's from a big top down uh, a, a top-down way. And again, when you factor in the ESG and you and you factor in some of these other government coercive things, that amount of control is I don't I don't even know what the limit of that is. Like, Jim, does it seem impossible that uh, you know, some woke car company that's being incentivized by ESG is saying, Oh yeah, we'll pick up anybody and drive them anywhere they need to go. 
Sephora DeSantis rally. He's yeah. he's the next Hitler or something like that. Like yeah. that, that seems like a very possible scenario. Yeah, straight to jail. That's where we're taking you. <laughs> uh, right. I, no, I, and actually, this is as you were saying that. Um, if you remember, sometimes um, the police will do stings where there's people they have outstanding warrants on, and then they'll uh, send them a letter or a text or something saying, you're the winner of a million dollars. Come to this location and uh, collect your winnings. And then they come in and to collect their winnings. And it's like, uh, you know, kind of like to catch a predator. You're like, ah, surprise. This is actually, uh, you know, the Los Angeles Police Department and you're under arrest and uh, and all that stuff. So as you were saying that, I can even, because self-driving cars are coming. And again, it's who controls them. And say, who's to say that, uh, and of course, there will be a record of every time you get into a self-driving car to be taken, and there'll be records of where you were taken and when, uh, and presumably why, or they'll try to figure out why. But who's to say there wouldn't be a scenario where if um, you get into a self-driving car, there's not a human, it's programmed to take take you, you think you're going where you wanted to go, and instead it takes you somewhere else. And maybe it even locks the door. Um, and I'm being serious. I mean, do you think if the FBI had the ability to send a self-driving vehicle to somebody who was a person of interest um, at that uh, post-election rally in Washington, D.C., let's just say that, do you think the FBI would would jump at the chance to send a self-driving car to a person of interest in an investigation and then just have that car lock the door and take them where they wanted, where they could get their hands on them and interrogate them? That may sound crazy to you. It doesn't sound crazy to me because um, that sure is a lot easier than going all the way up to, say, Alaska and banging down somebody's door at at five o'clock in the morning with, you know, 17 FBI agents. Why not just send them a car, put them in? I mean, I'm serious. That that sounds it may sound nuts, may sound, you know, some kind of dystopian future. But if we're not careful about how we implement the the technology that is coming and self-driving cars are coming. If we're not careful to, uh, to on how we set these things up in ways that preserve individual autonomy and freedom, these sorts of things aren't just possible; they are probable. And you yeah. may be, and you may be taken somewhere against your will, even though you did nothing wrong, and uh, you'll have no recourse. I mean, this no. this this is potentially pretty dangerous, to be honest. No, well, th- that's that's the thing because we have to worry about like the worst case scenarios because if there's no one worrying about the worst case scenarios, then we can run headlong into the worst case scenarios, and people would be like, "Well, we didn't have any warning, right?" So there's a couple of other things you mentioned the uh, you know Twitter and, and social media censoring conservative speech, like that that concept. Uh, which we've seen, you know, now in social media, like expand that across all of these things. Like, wh- what is the leftist response going to be, you know, when uh, Uber and and Lyft, which controls 80% of, of mobility in the United States in, you know, two decades from now, says, you know what, um, we don't like your politics. We're not offering our services to you. Like, it's going to be the same thing as the social media, but worse. And then what is the liberal response to it? Because we know what the liberal response was to the social media reference uh, censorship was. It was make your own uh, social media, make your own Twitter. So what is the response going to be to this? Oh, yeah, you know, these these private companies, they can they can totally exclude you because you're wearing, a, you know, you, you have a picture from 10 years ago where you're wearing a MAGA hat. It's their private business. They can do whatever they want. Right. Make your own self-driving car fleet <laughs> and pick up people via Uber. Like that's the that's the the future that we are barreling towards. And well, then one me... other thing, one other one other thing that you have to think about is that uh, if 
if this is the the reality and we do have uh, Google or, or Apple or Amazon or or Uber that owns these fleets of cars, self-driving cars. Now, car manufacturing companies have them in mind as their most important customer, not the individual person. So it doesn't matter what the individual person wants. If this if this corporation that's potentially going to order, you know, a hundred thousand cars or a million cars over the next ten years or something, they want X then we're going to make cars with X, even if that means that are electric vehicles that don't go as far and they're not, uh, you know, as efficient or whatever that company wants them. So we're going to make them that way. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, I mean, here, here's a, a real world example. I, I don't remember if I brought this up on the pod in the past, but uh, remember the um, uh, the San Bernardino shooter um, several years ago and the feds wanted to get into his Apple iPhone. And they asked Apple and they said, hey, uh, can you break into this phone for us? Because he may have information on his phone that would be useful in our investigation. Maybe he has accomplices. Maybe he's gotten instructions from another group. We really need to get into his phone. Apple said, go pound sand. Uh, we're not going to give you access to his phone. We have an agreement with our users that their privacy is sacrosanct, even in a case of stopping domestic terrorism. I, I think that was about 10 years ago. It's it's, it makes me cry if not, to, you know, if you would laugh at it, if it wouldn't make you cry on how that's the way technology companies protected our individual liberties back then. Uh, yeah, and now we I thought they caved. I thought they eventually caved and cracked the phone for them. And I don't can you know if that's the case. They did. No, okay. right. the feds eventually just cracked it. I think I don't think they caved. Um, uh, but even if they caved, they, they, they waited a long time to do it and probably were, I'm surely if they caved, they were forced by a court to do so. So they went through proper channels. And now we live in a world where Twitter is cooperating with the FBI, uh, to spy on American citizens and suppress the speech of people who go, who are against the regime. So we've come a long, long way in about 12 years, uh, mm -hmm. on way, our privacy and the, the relationship between technology and the, in the individual and technology and government. And if you don't think that these big technology companies have a much greater interest, and in the future, this will be even more, have a much greater interest in keeping government happy than keeping you happy, then exactly. you haven't been paying attention because their customer, as you said, Donnie, will be, and is increasingly government and people in power, not you, the individual, because you have less and less of it, the more power government gets. Right. And I keep bringing up the ESG thing because that also uh, puts the individual customer on the sideline. Doesn't matter if you're happy. Doesn't matter if even if you want to voluntarily purchase their products. If that product or service results in a lowering of an ESG score, that's what's most important for these corporations. So when they're in charge of all the transportation or something like that, the amount of control is astonishing. So let's talk about housing. So again, ascending this ladder of importance. Let's talk about housing. Uh, this is a very important concept in the uh, you'll own nothing future. Houses are generally the biggest investment your average person will ever make in their lives. A uh, house could be a valuable asset, generally appreciates in value if you are in there long enough. You build up equity, all of these things. Not only that, but also level offers a level of freedom that you don't typically enjoy while renting. If you want to own a pet, it's great. It's your house. If you want to do renovations, it's your house. If you want to paint the walls of a room black to intimidate your coworkers, that's fine. <laughs> it's your house. <laughs> Jim likes that one. Uh, so that that's, um, but this all could change again, if we skew towards this idea of in the future, you don't own anything. So this is also slowly becoming a reality housing in the last i don't know you you name it has become crazy expensive keeping potential first-time home buyers out of the market 
Combined with investment behemoths like BlackRock and Blackstone buying up houses like crazy, this is a topic that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, or at least a handful of times. Uh, stories of BlackRock and Blackstone buying up entire neighborhoods of homes and turning them into rental properties. I know we've talked about some of this under the banner of a, a rentership society, which, Jim, you already mentioned. So this term, rentership society, so this is new. I don't think I brought this up on the podcast. This term was coined back in 2011, shortly after the housing crash of 08, by investment bank Morgan Stanley. They released a report uh, explaining how there's a glut of homes on the market uh, with people unable to buy them. And that's setting up an opportunity for investment firms to buy all these houses on the cheap, offer them as rentals, and create a rentership society. So uh, so again, that, that was almost like the report that sparked off this, this craze of all these giant investment corporations buying up tons of houses. Blackstone was one of them. They bought up over the course of like several years. Uh, something like 10, 10, or no, 100,000 homes before that part of their corporation was spun off into something, some other corporation. I forget what it's called. Um, so this, this uh, we've, we've covered stories talking about this idea of a rentership society and how this could be something that we should strive for and how people could be more free because they're not tethered to their homes. And now they can travel easier. And now they can take other jobs in different parts of the country easier because now they don't have to worry about selling their homes. They're just renting it. But again, we have to talk about the control that comes along with this because when you don't own your home, someone else makes the rules. So landlords make the rules, right? Uh, no pets. I've even seen some stories about landlords saying that you can't have a party. You can't have parties or no alcohol. Now, some of these are challenged in courts and whatever. But generally speaking, the landlord is given a lot of leeway when it comes to uh, restrictions that they can make when it comes to people living underneath their homes, uh, underneath their roofs. One of the most shocking ones is this idea that landlords have the ability to tell you that when you're living under their roof, you can't own a gun, or at least you can't be in possession of a gun. Theoretically, you can own one and have it in a, a, a lockbox somewhere, but you can't have it underneath their roof. And I know this because they, I, when I was looking all this stuff up, I found articles talking about how there's only like two states in the entire United States that bans this type of restrictions that could be made by landlords. One is Minnesota, and one of them is some other like Western uh, a state. But generally speaking, in the other 48 states, a landlord could tell you that when you're living under their roof, you can't be in possession of a firearm. Doesn't matter what the Constitution says. We're talking about, uh, you know, people uh, doing with what they want with their property, right? So now, you know, this, this might be like, okay, well, if a landlord makes a crazy, uh, you know, no party clause, no booze clause, that's fine. It's their property. I can go and uh, uh, live under some other landlord's roof, offer them rent who doesn't have these crazy rules. But what if all the homes are owned by some mega corporations like BlackRock? Or better yet, what if all the homes are owned by investment corporations that are less concerned about pleasing you, the renter, and more concerned about increasing their ESG score? You know, what if they make a rule uh, to be in line with some ESG metric? That says under all of our homes that we own across the entire country, millions of homes, nobody can own a gun. That would be like one of the biggest 
uh, uh, punches to the face of the Second Amendment that would have nothing to do with a law being passed or any proposed legislation or executive order or anything like that. It could all be done through these mechanisms that we're talking about, all incentivized by ESG and stuff like that. So, uh, Jim, I have a little bit more to say about this, but thoughts on this concept? Um, you know, home ownership is, you know, they call it the American dream for a reason. And people here in the comments have noted that, you know, even if you own your own home, you don't really own it. The bank owns it. And then even after your house is free and clear, you still own uh, property taxes every year. So you, you really are beholden to the state, even if you own, a, own your home. Points taken, uh, true. But if you own your own home, I mean, I've, I've, I've lived that rental life for most of my life. I didn't own my own home until uh, relatively recently uh, within the, inside the last decade of my life. And like I said, I'm 52 right now. Donnie, you own your own home. Um, you got onto the own home ownership train a lot earlier than me. I know you're very happy and feel very content and safe in your own home. There is something of all the years I lived renting, and I really I never really lived in the same place for pretty much longer than maybe three years at a time, always moving from job to job or place to place. Um, there's a sense of of unsettlement in your head. There's just something that isn't quite permanent. You don't quite frankly feel 100% safe because you don't own it because there is somebody who can come in and evict you. There is somebody who can come in and raise your rent by 50% next year. And if you can't afford it, you got to get out. Um, if you own your own home and you, you know, and you have a reasonable mortgage, those sorts of worries are gone. You feel much more independent. You feel much, more, much, much your own person. And, you know, my property is very small. It's even less than a quarter of an acre that our house sits on. But I feel like that's my castle. That's my home. That's my land. I own it. This is the place where I feel safest and most and most happy. And in a future where nobody can really ever feel that, 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 that sense of safety or independence or happiness is not a world that I am, I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah. And like I said, uh, and I, and I kind of said this at the very beginning that like, this is, this is just as of now, and, and surely you can make the case that there's some underlying factors, but this seems to be the natural progression of things. Now I, I get the investment corporations and that, that Morgan Stanley thing. And then they saw, uh, the result of bad government policy and swooped in because of the opportunity of a bunch of uh, uh, houses that they could pick up, pick up on the cheap and all of that. But uh, the the streaming service stuff, the car stuff, all of that is just kind of the natural progression of things. And just wait, because the government can start putting their thumbs on the scales and can start doing things that do push uh, this trend more uh, quickly onto all, all of us. So just like something I was thinking about with like the cars, right? So if we have a, a fleet of self-driving cars and the, and the thing about like, you know, you'll see these videos of a self-driving car crashing or something like that, or they, they did a test and it hit the little cardboard cutout of a person when it wasn't supposed to or something. <laughs> it's like, yes, they're not perfect, but they don't have to be perfect. They just have to be better than the human driver. And that I think we'll find out isn't the highest bar in the world to make. So once these self-driving cars prove that they're safer than uh, human piloted cars, that's just going to create an incentive for governments, or at least a justification, I should say, for governments to push self-driving cars more on people and increase the liability cost of, of owning insurance or something like that if you choose to drive your own car. And what happens when we find out that uh, 
Uh, Self-driving cars can go safely 100 miles an hour on highways. Now we could see a scenario where the government's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we need to be more efficient and our and our transportation system has to get to the, the new 21st century standard or something. So we're going to allow self-driving cars to go that fast. But you and your 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 uh, human piloted car, you're not allowed on highways or, or anything like that. So so we could see this where the where the the government could start putting their thumbs on the scales when it comes to pushing this trend. But I've, I promised that I would talk about appliances and clothing. So I just really quickly want to bring that into the to the mix because there are already services out there where you can rent clothing. There's one called Rent the Runway uh, where you can get like higher end clothing. There's one that's like a clothing sharing thing. I forget what it's called, but it, you know, if you want to, again, Jim, you want to borrow my socks or something, just find me on that, that clothing sharing uh, service ever. Uh, and the same thing when it comes to appliances. I mean, that, uh, that, that's been the case for a while now. You can go to a Home Depot and rent a lawnmower for a weekend if you need or anything. But, uh, but if we get into a scenario where that is the, the typical model, then the corporations have an easier job, or at least the government, if the government wanted to enforce some you know, small engine efficiency thing, it would be much easier for them to just like incentivize it through ESG, through uh, all the different corporations out there that make these things, as opposed to trying to pass individual legislation, every uh, locality and every county and every state across the country. So it just opens up the ability for these things to be controlled when, again, you don't own them, somebody else does. So, Jim, I mean, some of the things that are mentioned in that article, even when she mentions like the flying cars or the idea that, uh, you know, a business meeting is going to be taking place in your living room as opposed to some some office building or anything like that, it does seem really far out there. But all of the things that I mentioned here can come to being within the next 10, 20, 30 years no problem. And I think that, again, when we talk about like ESG and all of that and the, and the control that that uh, foists upon uh, society, it's something that like scares me. And I don't want to poo-poo it as this like crazy idea. Ah, oh, you're just dreaming over there. Like it, it seems real and it seems like it's closer than you might imagine. Why, why do we talk about this so often? I mean, we talk about the World Economic Forum and their plans. We've, we've, we've actually talked about this very article. In 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. Um, we, we talk about this because this ent our entire society is being conditioned to accept a lower standard of living. We're being conditioned little by little, even in the entertainment, Donnie, like you say, who, who cares about the DVD? I love my Netflix and my Amazon Prime and my Hulu and all that stuff. In its own little tiny way, that's conditioning you to move toward this future willingly. In exactly. that uh, you will go ahead and decide, I guess I don't need a car. You know, home ownership is overrated. What a hassle. Uh, you know, I, you know, it is probably better for me to live in a, in a dense urban society or, you know, environment and have uh, Uber take me somewhere or maybe get on the bus. Uh, you know, th this is conditioning and it's constant and it's never ending. And it's happening in every aspect of our lives. Um, I just, I would, about renting clothing, I mean... People in the comments were like, ooh, no thanks. And I did definitely <laughs> gave you a thumbs down, Donnie, on uh, on renting your socks at any time in the future. Unless they're <laughs> brand on, new. That, unless they're brand new that you got them for Christmas. You know, then yeah. maybe uh, if I get the if I get first dibs, then uh, then I'll borrow them from you. I'll rent them from you for four cents a day. Uh, but 
you know, we already do actually rent clothes. I mean, I got, when I got married, I didn't buy a tuxedo. I rented a tuxedo. So these things actually, and you rent a costume, right? You go to costume city, whatever you can rent a costume. You don't have to buy something. So it does happen. But again, those are choices that people can make. And those are reasonable choices. You don't need a tuxedo that you're probably not going to fit into in three years <laughs> after you get married. Uh, you know, so you just rent one. It's, it's fine. But again, this is all conditioning, conditioning us to have a, to get used to a lower standard of living. Condition us to not own our own cars because they keep telling us how uncool it is. Besides, it hurts the environment. And you, it's, it's selfish, you know? It's selfish to have your own personal transportation that isn't an electric bike, you know? So, you know, we talk about these things because we think it's important to, re to understand that this conditioning is happening mm -hmm. and to actively resist this conditioning because the I think the proper state of a free individual is about as close to what we have right now, uh, which is valuing individualism, valuing personal ownership of things, valuing capitalism as an incentive yes. to make society better, not collectivism. Um, and that's why we talk about this. And I think it's yeah. important. Yeah, yeah. Someone, uh, Gary over here says, but what can we do? And, I, and I've seen um, a couple of our uh, comments in that section saying, Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, that's crazy. And, and I think it's because unless you sit down and think about this stuff, some of this might not ever come to mind. So if somebody is going in and talking, you know, uh, you know, at the Christmas party you're about to go to and, and talking about self-driving cars and this idea that that could be the future of public transportation with no regard to what the potential repercussions of that could be. Now you have the intellectual ammunition to say, well, oh, you know, there's another side of the ledger that we have to take into account. Yeah, there's some pros, but there's also some cons. And that might give some people pause and that might slow down this trend line going in this direction. Uh, so <laughs> that that's at least the very least of what we can do is just be knowledgeable of all of this stuff and, and know why. All of the things that Jim was saying and the importance of uh, private ownership and and uh, having the freedom of having your own transportation or or being the the master of your own domain or what <laughs> Seinfeld reference. Um, that's all. All of these things are important. That's why I wanted to dedicate this episode to this. And uh, Andy's already playing the walk off music. We're already past an hour here, uh, so I just want to I want to uh, one other thing before I get into my normal sign off stuff is that I really intended this episode to not be crazy conspiracy theory, uh, you know, Alex Jones style, like this this crazy what if, and there's all these evil people that are trying to control your lives. I, I presented a whole bunch of facts with a whole bunch of links to back it up. Yes, plenty of speculation as well. Like I said, things that we should be thinking about. But I wanted to make this accessible to anybody that was curious about any of these ideas. So everyone that's still watching this podcast, I urge you, you might not do this when I when I randomly ask you to do it in the in past episodes, but please share this one. I think this is one that's important. This is one that doesn't just dive into the politics or the policy that's super partisan or anything like that. This is something that I feel like everyone should be part of this conversation, left, right, or middle. So please share this content, hit that like button, subscribe, all of those things that help this video break through those big tech algor algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more eyes. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Yep, and thank you for joining us on this uh, this week. We're gonna be we're gonna be here next week as well. I think we're gonna be talking about movies and pop culture. It's been kind of a a um, a tradition that Jim and I have had over the last couple of years. Uh, we're inviting on Christian Toto. 
we're going to be talking about probably avatars, the, the, the ideas of streaming services. Maybe we'll bring up some of this stuff too, but uh, that's an episode that you should be looking forward to as well. You can follow us on Twitter at in the tank pod. You can send us your comments, questions, and suggestions for the show by emailing, emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com. But again, thank you all for tuning in and we will talk to you next week.